Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Mumaw, lead pastor here at Genesis Church. And many of you know that we've been reading through the Bible as a church family this year and talking about it on Sundays. And if you're all caught up in your Bible reading, I want to say well done to you. Uh, if you fell off the wagon somewhere in the book of Job, no shame, no shame at all. I, I know that reading through the Bible, especially reading the Old Testament, can be a journey. But I will say that if you fell off, uh, go ahead and jump back in with us. We, we'd love to have you come along with us. We're halfway through the year. Pick up from today and, and finish out the year uh, in your reading just as you started. Uh, if you can't bring yourself to do it now, set your sights on mid-August when we'll enter into the New Testament together. Um, but if you're wondering, like, why are we doing this? Like, why, why is this so important to our church? Why is this something that we're doing this year? Uh, there, there's no more important book to you and, and your faith uh, than the Bible. We, we believe that the Bible is God's word for us. It's our source of truth and direction as followers of Jesus and as a church. Psalm 119, verse 105 says this, that your word, Lord, is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. You see, for us, the Bible, we know, points to Jesus. Uh, the Bible teaches us how to live like Jesus lived. And the good news is that the Bible is very practical for us to do. And so that's why we're taking a little extra time right now in the book of Proverbs uh, these last few weeks. Proverbs offers wisdom that can uh, impact impact just pretty much anything in our life, you know, things that we go through, things like parenting, the, the schedule we keep, how we act around others, and even the friends that we choose. But Proverbs also has a lot to say about money and the way we manage it. And because money is such a big part of all of our lives, I thought we'd take some time today to explore some various Proverbs on the issue of money. Now, Solomon gets all the credit for writing the book of Proverbs. And what does he know about money? Well, history records that he was one of the wealthiest people to ever live, add to it, he gets a lot of credit for his wisdom too. But in case you're wondering, well, why should I care what he has to say about money? Well, money's a big deal. Uh, it impacts every single one of us and uh, in different ways. Personally, I, I'd put money in the top three things that, that I worry about. Um, I worry about having enough. I worry about having enough to pay for college, enough for medical bills, enough to provide for my family, enough to, to slow down one day. And so I, I still worry about money. But do you know what? I don't worry about money nearly as much as I used to. And what's made the difference for me? Well, 20 years ago, Jenny and I, my wife and I, we made the decision that we wanted to manage our money according to the principles that are laid out here in the book of Proverbs. And maybe that's what some of you are doing too. And if so, today will be a review, a, a refresher for you. For others of you, maybe you've been living by a, a different financial plan, but it's not working for you. Uh, some of you are in a financial crisis right now and you need to do something different. Uh, maybe some of you are here today and you're just curious about what the Bible might have to say about money. What, what did Solomon have to say about it? What did Jesus have to say about the way that we manage money? That's my goal for today. Just talk a little bit of that. And, and let me add that I'm no financial advisor. I'm certainly no financial expert. So many of you know so much more about managing money than I do. But what I want to do is look at what Proverbs has to say about money and the way we manage it. And then it's up to you. Uh, you get to decide for yourself what you're going to do about what we share and read today. Because the fact is that we're all managing money. Whether you have a little bit of it, whether you have a lot of it, and, and whether you have a, a great plan or maybe no plan at all, because the reality is, and I think we all know this on some level, that if you don't manage your money, it will manage you. 
it will manage you. I mean, think about it. Like, what else causes more stress and, and grief and anxiety than money? I mean, if you're single, you probably think a lot about money. If you're, if you're married, you think a lot about money. Most serious conflicts in marriage today have to do with money. In fact, one report suggests that as much as 50% of divorces will point to, to money, to money issues and questions really as a major cause. I mean, money has caused so much pain and so much stress for so many of us, and it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to do that because God doesn't want you or me wasting any of our time or any of our life worrying about money. He wants us to trust Him, to put our faith in Him. But that means acknowledge, it means uh, managing money in a way that honors Him and in a way that acknowledges our dependence on Him at the same time. And so again, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about money. We won't look at every verse for sure. I've picked a handful. Let's begin with this. Proverbs chapter 27, beginning in verse 23. Here's what we read. Be sure, Solomon says, you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations." Now, in Solomon's day, everyone was a shepherd, and for those reasons, your flocks represented your assets. Now, your herd said a lot about your financial worth, and so what's Solomon trying to say? He's saying that when it comes to, when it comes to money, it's important to know what you have. It's important to keep track of your, your finances. It's important to, to have goals. If, if you don't know what you have or, or where your money is going, you've got a problem, or you'll likely have one someday, kind of like the leaky toilet in our hall hallway bath. My father-in-law helped me put in a new toilet uh, back around Christmas time. Everything went in great and all until about two months later. I was in that bathroom. I was washing my hands one day, and I just happened to look down at our laminate flooring, and as I stepped on the laminate floor, I could see some water creeping up through the board. See, little did we realize it, but we had a small leak or, uh, in, that, in that seal that was draining out underneath those boards, and, well, it caused some damage, some damage that we had to get taken care of. What's the point? It's good to have a financial plan. I mean, it's, it's good to know what you owe. It's good to know where your money is going. You, you might have a problem and not even realize it. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 16 says this about money and our management of it. It says that every wise person acts with good sense, but fools show how foolish they are. And so here's what I want to do. With that in mind, I want to highlight five financial principles mentioned in the book of Proverbs. In fact, let's call them this. Let's call them five money pr principles that make good sense. All right? Five money principles that make good sense. And by the way, my wife said, please don't call it that. Like, that's so cheesy. Like, that's such a bad idea. But I went ahead and did it anyways. All right? Five money principles that make good sense. Uh, let's go through those together. First is this. It, it makes good sense to live on a budget. Uh, to have a budget, to set a budget. Again, Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. What does Solomon say? He says, it's important to know the conditions of your flocks. It's, it, it's good to keep or to give careful attention to your herds. Uh, he, he's saying that having a plan, like having a budget, to, again, it's all about setting goals and sticking to them. It's knowing what you make. It's knowing what you owe. It's knowing what you spend and what you give. Uh, a budget, some say, is telling your money where you want it to go instead of 
wondering where it all went. I, I just reached out and asked others on Facebook this past week, uh, uh, what are the benefits of having a budget? People said things like this, living on a budget has helped us get out of debt and be better stewards of God's money. Uh, someone else said it's given us flexibility, flexibility for one parent to work, uh, one parent to be able to stay at home with kids. Someone added a, a lot of peace of mind that's come through having a budget, fewer arguments, uh, vacations paid for in advance. I remember when Jenny and I went through Financial Peace University and came out of it with a budget. And I'll just tell you that my first thoughts when I looked at our new budget was, well, see you later, fun. Like there goes all of our fun because who loves living on a budget? But what did that budget enable us to do? Well, it enabled us to give more. I mean, we realized that we actually had more that we could give away. We were able to pay off debt. In fact, just a few years ago, we paid off all of our debt. We have no debt today. Uh, it's provide, provided a lot of flexibility for, for Jenny to choose to stay at home at different times throughout our marriage, amongst so many other things. Uh, I, I know that sometimes the thought of putting together a budget is a little intimidating, uh, but it doesn't have to be, and it doesn't have to be complicated either. Uh, you probably know this. You might be aware of these things, but there are plenty of great tools out there to help you put together a budget of, our, of your own. We've got great people in our church that I know would be more than happy to help you in preparing a budget. We'll offer Financial Peace University group again this year. If that's something that you're interested in, we'd love to know about it. Just mark in the comments and we'd be happy to get you some more information. If Financial Peace University changed our life, I know it's changed many lives, uh, including people like Matt and Jenna Flanagan who go to Genesis. Jenna works here on our staff. They went through FPU a few years back. And just over a year ago, they paid off all of their non-mortgage debt. And I was asking Jenna, hey, what made the difference? And she said, having a plan, uh, getting on a budget, you know, that we had no idea how much money we were actually wasting. And so we were able to be smarter because of our budget. And it also brought a lot of peace in mind. Again, we, we'd love to help you understand a little bit more about Financial Peace University and the benefits that could be for you. So let us know uh, if you're interested. Here's another proverb, Proverb 21, verse 5, kind of along these same lines. Again, Pro Solomon says, the, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Proverbs says that having a budget, living by a budget makes good sense. That if you'll do the work and then stick to the plan, be consistent with your plan, that having a budget can yield greater peace and freedom in your life. Here, here's something else though. Here, here's something else that, that makes good sense when it comes to financial planning, uh, and that is to avoid and eliminate debt, all right? To avoid and eliminate debt. Uh, if, if you can do it, I, I would encourage you to avoid debt. If you're in it, uh, have a plan, Figure out a plan to get out of debt as soon as possible. Now, it's no sin to have a credit card. There's no sin with being in debt. I know many people who use cards responsibly. Uh, think about it. We, we take on debt to buy a home. If, if you own a business, chances are you've used debt to take new ground. Churches ha have used debt as a way of funding new ministry initiatives. I mean, it's fair to say that debt can be managed responsibly, but I think we all know the dangers of taking on too much debt debt to you. Like we all know people uh, who are drowning in debt right now. I mean, some of you listening today are overwhelmed by things like credit card debt or mortgage debt, uh, medical or, or school loan debt. I mean, it's no coincidence that debt is a four-letter word. It has caused so much stress 
and so much misery for so many people. And is it any wonder that Proverbs says, Proverbs 22, verse 7, that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender? Uh, Dave Ramsey points out that things like uh, out-of-control spending, discontentment and debt, uh, ruining so many people today and so many families. Uh, according to bankrate.com, the average American carries over $90,000 of debt right now, almost $7,000 alone in, in credit card debt. Uh, school loans are frightening for so many people. According to one report, 33 million people right now owe up to $1.7 trillion combined in student loan debt. That's over $37,000 in student loan debt per person. And, and I don't want to give the impression that the debt is always the result of, of poor choices. I mean, some of you have some really painful stories of medical emergencies that you've endured or are currently going through or other unfortunate circumstances that have contributed to where you find yourself today. But the fact is that debt is ruining so many lives and so many relationships. It's preventing people from taking big steps with God. And there's a reason that Solomon describes the indebted as being as slaves to the lender. Because when you're in debt, I mean, there's this feeling of being stuck, trapped, uh, with no place to go. I mean, you are at least limited to some degree. And so if you're in debt right now, no matter how much or how little you have, I want to encourage you to come up with a plan to get out of debt as soon as possible. How many of you have ever heard the name Aaron Ralston before? Uh, maybe you recognize his picture and certainly the prosthetic arm that he has there. And if you're wondering, why does he have a prosthetic arm? Well, if you don't know his story, he actually cut it off. He cut off his own arm. He was hiking in the Utah wilderness, uh, climbing in some narrows, got deep down into a crevice. Wouldn't you know it, a rock slipped and moved. He was trapped. His arm was trapped for something like 127 hours. And so he had the choice to either wait and die there as he was so isolated from people, nobody knew where he was, or he could cut off his arm and actually try and survive. And he did just that. And I heard him speak in Indy a number of years ago and listening to his story in that moment, I mean, I squirmed in my seat as he described that decision-making process and actually following through with it. But really, I mean, what it came down to was he had to make a decision to break free. Did it require some pain and discomfort? You could say that. Choosing to get out of debt is going to require some pain and discomfort. It's going to take some time. But I will tell you, others will tell you too, it's worth it. And it's going to take a plan and it's going to take hard work. But most importantly, it's going to take the Lord's help too. And I know that for some of you, your financial position might seem impossible right now. But can I promise you something? It's not impossible for our God. Nothing is too great for him. And I want you to know today that he can help you that he would love to help you, that he doesn't want any of us to be a slave to anyone. I mean, there is nothing that our God can't do. And if you let him, I believe that God can help you get out of the situation that you're in. You see, it makes good sense to eliminate debt, to avoid it. Here's something else that makes good sense too, and that is number three, to save for the future. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says this about savings. It says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools 
gulp theirs down. Jenny and I sat down with a financial advisor not too long after we were married. Um, I was a little reluctant uh, to start setting aside money for the future. I thought that was something we could put off for later. Thankfully, we didn't. And looking back now, I'm so grateful that we started planning and preparing for the future back then. I mean, it's good. It's good to save for the future using things like 401ks and Roth IRAs and other savings vehicles. I mean, if you have an HSA, uh, it makes a lot of sense to put money away for medical expenses. It's, it's important to have an emergency fund. Why, why do you need a fund like that? Because the AC is going to go out. I mean, uh, the transmission is going to go out of a vehicle. The refrigerator is going to shut down at some point. Uh, Solomon said, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. In other words, like don't just blow all that you have every month, but have a plan. Like pay your bills, save even a little bit at a time for the future. You know, Jesus once told a story about the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man that built his house on the sand. And uh, Jesus knew that a storm would come, and certainly it did. And he realized that the storm was less likely to take out the house built on the rock-solid foundation than the one that was built on the sand. Now, Jesus was talking about life. He was talking about faith and the importance of putting our faith in God there. But, but in this case, his story works for money too, because when it comes to money, like it's wise to have a plan. It's, it, it makes good sense to have a budget, to, to have a foundation, to know where your money is going, to, to save for short-term needs and for long-term needs too. But in order to save well, you're going to have to follow this next principle. And that is that it also makes good sense to enjoy what you have. And this is what we call contentment. And Proverbs 21 verse 17 says this about contentment. It says that whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Can I be real with you for just a second? We are great at violating this principle here in the greater Indianapolis area because we are suckers for the trap that bigger is always better. And so many of us, we're chasing after more all the time. Uh, think about how often we need the newest piece of equipment, uh, that we need another acre or two, or there's another travel team that's always better. Uh, our garages aren't big enough to hold the stuff that we have, and so we have to rent another location off-site, and we're not happy, and we're not content, and we buy the lie that says, if I get this, then I'll finally be satisfied. And it's not true because if it were true, the richest people would be the most satisfied and the happiest today. And they're not. And we're not because we're not happy. We're not content. We're always wanting more. Over in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews chapter 13 says this about, well, contentment. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I mean, sometimes we're chasing so much more that we overlook what we really have and what we've been given. Like we don't appreciate the shelter that God has provided for us. We uh, disregard the people that he has put into our lives. We, we don't feel like we have enough money, but you have to ask yourself, we have to ask ourselves, am I really managing my money in a way that demonstrates my trust and my love for God? You see, some of you have no idea the financial peace and freedom that you could experience in your life if you would simply learn to be content with what you have, with everything that God has given you. And the Bible says to learn contentment, that we should learn contentment. 
And that if that is the case, then we've got to ask, well, where do you start? Well, this is where I believe that it starts. And that is that we learn contentment the more we learn to abide in Jesus. And to abide in Jesus means to be relationally connected to him each and every day. Because Jesus, he desires to have a life-giving, intimate relationship with every single one of us. Uh, he, he wants to speak into your life about every matter of your life. He, he wants to be the one who regularly gives you wisdom and, and guidance and direction. We, he, he wants to be the one that reminds us of our purpose and our identity that's found in him. And it's, it's through an abiding relationship with Jesus that we are finally satisfied. It's, it's through Jesus that we discover things like contentment. And do you know what else? The more we find our satisfaction in Jesus... Well, that has the power and the potential to impact every single area of our lives. And so let me ask you, how content are you right now? Like, are you finding peace and satisfaction through your relationship in Jesus? Or are you chasing after so many things that will never do for you what only Jesus was intended to do? Friends, some of you need to get on a budget. You need a financial plan, a better financial plan in your life. So many of you, though, need to get right with Jesus first. You need to get right with him because Jesus is everything that we need. Uh, Jesus has everything that we need. Jesus can help us find satisfaction, but trusting him also makes good sense when it comes to our finances too. All right, so quick review of what we've talked about so far. Uh, what, what makes good sense when it comes to money and the way we manage it? Well, first of all, Jesus first above everything else. But it's good to have a plan, a budget to live by. We want to avoid and eliminate debt if we can. We want to save for the future. Uh, we want to enjoy what we have and learn the beauty of contentment. Again, you can learn each of these in very practical ways through even a group like Financial Peace University. But here's one last thing to keep in mind when it comes to money and the way that you manage it. And that is to make sure that your financial plan involves this, that it involves giving back to God first. Like we tend to give when it's easy. We tend to give when it's convenient or maybe disregard giving altogether. But here's one proverb about giving. And again, what it means to give back to God. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You see, most Christians don't give back to God first. Like most of us, what we'll do is we pay all the bills and then we give back to God if there are any leftovers. So, and so we don't give the first fruits as is highlighted in this passage. And all through the Bible, people, the people of God, they were instructed to give back to God from the first fruits of their harvest. That means giving to God before anything else. That, that, that means in our case, like giving to God uh, before you pay anyone else, like before you pay the rent, uh, before you pay AT&T, before you pay Disney Plus, like you give back to God first. Because giving first is one of the ways that we acknowledge God and his authority in our lives. Giving, giving first is one of the ways that we celebrate his provision for us. And it also helps remind us of one more important way that we can play a part in helping others find their way back to God. 
you know, Jenny and I started giving back to God first a little over 20 years ago. We went from giving nothing one week uh, to giving something, to actually giving 10% uh, is kind of the principle that, that we live by. And I'll just say it was tough at first. It was a big adjustment in our lives that we've been given for over 20 years now, and I have no regrets whatsoever. Like we've learned to enjoy giving. Like we, we've learned to enjoy and appreciate and know the blessing and the, and the comfort of giving back to God first, of living in such a way. I was uh, listening to one family as they talked just a little bit about their giving story. And they talked about how having a budget may, has made all the difference for them, but having a budget uh, where they made giving back to God first, that it was the most important thing uh, that they do. In fact, they just kind of live off of this 10-10-80 principle. If you, need a, if you need a budget kind of framework to live by, and that is that when it comes to every you know, dollar they make, that they give 10% back to God first, they, they save 10%, and then they live off of 80% because they want to honor God. And I want to honor God when it comes to my finances. I know that's the case with many of you. I, I want His provision in my life and His blessing and I also want to be a part of his redemptive work in this world. And again, I know that's the same. I know that's true for many of you, that many of you give. Many of you are growing in your generosity. And let me just take a moment to say to all of you from Genesis, thank you. Uh, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your financial support. I mean, we recently sent out mid-year giving statements. Uh, by the way, if you, if you didn't get one of those and you've given to Genesis Church in the last six months, we need to hear from you. All right, we want to make sure to get that straight with you. But, you know, in the last six months alone, something like 341 families and individuals have given financially to Genesis. And because of your giving, we've been able to, to pay the lease on both of our facilities every month. Uh, because of your giving, we, we pay salaries to, to our staff team. I mean, your, your giving pays for the utilities and maintenance for our facilities. It, it pays for supplies, for things like Gen Kids and, and scholarships for various events that our students and kids partic participate in. I mean, it's because of your giving that we're able to do this online worship experience right now. And this is where it gets really fun. Uh, because of your giving, we've already given away over $187,000 this year in 2021 alone to help support local ministries and, and ministries around the world that are also helping people find the way back to God. And that's just in the first six months of this year. Uh, because of your giving, we have no debt as a church right now. And that's a great place to be. And it provides for us a lot of flexibility as we look into the future. Uh, because of your giving over the last 15 months, we've been able to set aside over $1.6 million for a future building for our Noblesville campus. And we're also going to put some of those dollars to work right here at our Carmel campus. And that's getting ready to happen as we've got some exciting things that are coming up here real soon. And again, none of that happens without your giving. But what more could we do if we all joined in together? Why do I want you to learn and practice the discipline of giving? Because it'll do for you what it did for me. It's changed my life. Uh, it changes, it's changed the way that I see everything, including money. Uh, you, you'll, you'll see life in a whole new way. Uh, start giving and incorporate these principles that we've talked about today and and you'll position yourself to be used and provided for by God in ways that you've never experienced before. Start giving and through places like Genesis, and you'll help us do even more to reach our community. You know, I, I think that generosity through the church, uh, even Genesis Church, has the potential to get an unbelieving world's attention right now. And so the more we give, 
the more we look like Jesus. And with God's help, uh, we can help even more know the power and the love of Jesus Christ. All right, so again, five principles to wrap up. We want to live on a budget, uh, avoid and eliminate debt, save for the future, uh, enjoy what you have, and give first to God. And I hope that maybe you took some notes today. Maybe you hope that uh, you learned some things here that'll be helpful for you, some verses at least that you can spend some time with considering, taking time to read through and pray uh, through those and what they might mean for your life. Um, We've been looking at what Solomon has to say about money. Uh, Interestingly, Jesus had a lot to say about money too. Uh, We're not gonna look at those today, but I wanna point out one to you as we close because in Matthew 6, Jesus addresses the issue of spending and saving. He talks about where we put our hope and our faith. He recognizes how quickly worry consumes us. He he reminds us that we don't have to worry, that we don't have to live our lives in fear, that that we don't have to be discontent or consumed with getting more. And he reminds us of the importance of seeking his kingdom first. Because here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Let me ask you today, are you seeking Jesus first above all else? When it comes to your finances, for sure, but also with your life and with your future. You know, Jesus makes himself available to each and every one of us. And if you don't know him, he'd love to have a relationship with you And we're here to talk with you more about that. If we can help, feel free to reach out in the comments or email us at info at genesischurch.me. We'd love to talk more. Let me pray with you today as we close. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That you point to Jesus through your word. You teach us how to live like him and you speak into all sorts of areas of our life, including areas like our finances. Father, help us. Give us wisdom. Help us to live our lives and to manage our money in a way that honors you. And above all else, we thank you for Jesus Christ as our Savior, our greatest source of satisfaction and friend and a helper in our time of need. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.